Well, I got a little bit of a problem. I didn't know if I wanted to do this song from Rihanna, work, 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 work. Uh, Because it seemed to make sense. If it's work Wednesday, you need to have a song about work. And this song is about work. And I was torn between that. Hey, some people are coming in on X. Well, hello, hello. I was torn between that or a traditional work song. Uh. Come on, uh, give it to me. See, that's 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 hard to decide. Like, which one should it be? Should it be that, or should we be doing something like? I don't know. We'll have to vote on it. I'm usually like, I don't believe in democracies. <laughs> I'm joking. It's a joke, kind of. My house is not a democracy. It's a dictatorship. My wife had a vote. After that, nobody else gets a vote. <laughs> I'm j- kind of joking. Uh... But at this, I'm willing to take some votes. I'm willing to decide if we're going to do some Rihanna work, 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 and redeem this song because I think we can. Especially when we're talking about work or if we go to something that's just way more funky. All right. I'm trying to give y'all a little moment to... Um, okay, so Ellie, the assistant, says it needs to be the Rihanna one. Ellie, what do you know? You don't... What do you, what do you know, Ellie? You're just at the conference hanging out with a bunch of fun people. But I like this track, though. This too. This track is nice because it makes you want to groove. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Everybody that's on the stream right now, y'all know what to do. You're inside of the spaces. Hit the share button. Let's get it popping up in there. Let everybody know that this space is live. I haven't done these in a little bit because we broke down our studio. And so the studio had to ship out to uh, Kentucky for uh, the conference out there. This song is so good, though. Uh, uh, who don't want to work to this? Um, and so I had to break down the studio, which is great because we were using it for live streaming out there, which is on YouTube. You can find the streams of the speakers after we got done talking to them. It's out on YouTube. And we used the uh, equipment for some other things. So I had to break down the studio. So I couldn't do all my streams. And that's okay. So I, when we got back, we had to put the studio back together. And so it's taken me a couple days to uh, to get things put together. But I'm back. We're back on track to do our our whole oh look at that I guess the studio's not quite back together <laughs> come on thing work with me guess we'll have to work on that anyway so we're back on track to get back on to work Wednesday we were supposed to do uh T3 which we missed and then tomorrow we are going to absolutely do thread inception Thursday which should be really 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 interesting because um, I didn't know I was causing a firestorm. I just thought it'd be great that, you know, I invite people who seem to have criticisms of the Onimist, who I happen to be one, and I happen to know a few Christian nationalists. And I thought, you know, maybe I haven't given it the good old college try to invite those guys on cross politics to talk with us. A few things got misunderstood. I wasn't trying to have like a live event, although I'm not opposed to it. I just thought I'd start somewhere and say, hey, why don't you guys come on the show? Owens did a talk at G3, and I thought it'd be good to invite him out to 
cross politic. We can stream it. If he wants to figure out a way to come in person, that's an option too. And I said, hey, let's invite some of the guys we've been talking to, which have been Stephen Wolf. We've talked to uh, Pastor Doug Wilson, and we talked to um, uh, 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 oh, why is this Joel Webbin? And so, hey, what I thought I'd invite him out, and the G three guys too. We can all figure out how to have either one big conversation or no conversation uh, with everybody else, but just with us, cross politics. I'm totally fine with it. I didn't get any other options for what it might look like. Um, G3 hasn't completely answered yet, but at least Owen says no. But the door is open for Owen. Whenever he figures out how he can fit it into his schedule, he's more than welcome to come on cross politic and talk with us uh, whenever. <laughs> What's really interesting to me, and I actually offered, um, I thought that we should throw somebody else into the conversation who's not getting a lot of attention in this. Or should I say a group, which is Vody's got a clip out there roaming around where he's absolutely fine embracing the complete idea of Christian nationalism. Um, and then I'm like, well, let's invite Tom Askell and founders because they did a pre-conference on Christian nationalism that was basically in opposite position of where G3 did their conference on Christian nationalism. But everybody's in on the G3 side is to be talking about Stephen Wolf, and nobody's engaging their brothers that are even on the other side of this. I, I, don't, I don't know why, but I'm trying to figure out, hey, what if we can figure out how to get us all together since we kind of know each other? We all signed a statement together on the statement on social justice and the gospel. I think we can have a conversation together and figure it out. Good brothers in there. Um, so I, I will see. Owen said no. And I am accepting his no tentatively, kind of. But I'd love for him to come on. And he doesn't have to come on with Stephen Wolf. He doesn't have to come on with Joe Webbin. He doesn't have to come on with anybody. He can, look, you guys can give me the list of who you want to talk to and who you don't want to talk to, but I want to talk to you. So that's the, that's the thing. That's in the air. All right, so that's that happened. And in the process, um, there's some things that came to light. I'm going to talk about that on Friday. We're going to do a live uh, show with the guys here in studio on Friday. But today is Work Wednesday. And I wanted to recap for people who weren't there at the conference. Oh, I've already made a mistake. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I want to recap for everybody. Work, um, the Business Makers Conference was essential to the things that we talk about here on Work Wednesday. So if you are on Twitter, I'm sorry, I did not mean to dead name that platform. And I just did. I am so sorry, X. I will put a pinch of incense on that altar as soon as I figure out where. But if you're on X, we have two places that you can engage. We have the spaces that are in my platform. And you can actually engage on the video on my platform as well. On, on knock, uh, at Chocolate Knox, at Chocolate underscore Knox. You can see the video there and you can see the spaces. You can engage either way. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button, hit the share button, post it on your social. Davis Yance. Hey, what's up, Davis? I met Davis Yance at the conference. I like that guy. I like him a lot. Um, but you can also watch on Facebook, my Facebook account, the uh, Cross Politics X account. Oh, almost dead named again. And so, guys, go ahead. And we're on Locals. So right now I'm on Locals. I'm on X twice. I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. 
Uh, that's all the engaging places. Hit the share button, hit the like button on your social media accounts, and let's bring this conversation together around work. But before I do, I have to talk about <laughs> my sponsors. You see this? This is one of the most beautiful mugs I've ever had. And I'm not even exaggerating. When I saw this mug on newhearttreasures.com, let me just see if the water tastes better when I drink from it. Oh, oh, is this one of those, um, those falls that flowed from the garden and it made it out? This is, I think the water tastes better. Yep. Tastes better. Uh, I want to recommend one of these wonderful, wonderful coffee mugs from newhearttreasures.com. They are my first sponsor. Now, listen, there's something special about this sponsor. This is a young lady by the name of Hannah who started her company, saved her money up, and she's got like, she saved a couple thousand dollars up and started her own company. She's doing work, putting in work, making us all a shame. And she's got some amazing products. So head over to newhearttreasures.com, get you some stuff. I've already heard that you guys have been grabbing things already. Way to go. Go get her, go get some more support. She'll work with you on some of the designs that you might have. She gave me this lovely mug and a wonderful golf polo shirt. My goodness. That thing is legit. And I like, I love what it says. God is sovereign. And this mug is so cool. Look how it's beveled at the bottom end. That's amazing. I'm, the, just the feel of it. One of my producers came in here after he saw this mug and was like, hey, yo, yeah, who's, where'd you get that from? Well, from one of my sponsors. Thank you, sponsor. All right. So now that I've talked about my lovely sponsor in this lovely shirt right here, rowdy shirt that I got on, you can get that um, rowdy. Oh, hey, I see you. Crestpolicy.com, Rowdy Christian Merch is on there. You can find it on there. Uh, but so now let's get into this. Here's my recap. Oh, there's so many clips. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I don't even think I'm going to be able to get to all these clips. I'm going to try, though. So here's, here's one of the things that we don't do in Christendom enough is talk about business. And I think it's because we've, we've, we've lost the garden. I really believe that we've lost the basics of the garden. Joe Rigney. So here's the speakers I'm going to talk about. Camden Spiller. Camden owns a company called Maddox Transformers. It's a pretty large company, and he builds large transformers and some smaller ones for companies like SpaceX and colleges and you name it. If you, he's one. Of, he's a big guy in the business, and if you turn on your power, more than likely you you're, you're using one of Camden's transformers. So you have Camden, and he's going to talk about basically, to, this is not his title, but he's talking about thinking big in business and not, not um, curling back into just kind of this small me and my group environment. People are going doing a lot of homesteading, and that's great. But if you're homesteading for the purpose of being small, you're, you're, you're thinking about it wrong. You should be thinking about how can I do homesteading to be a blessing to do something large, right? So he talks a little bit about that. So we're going to hit into that. I think it's a great place to start because – because of the situation we're in right now, post-COVID, everybody is trying to think of security. And I think Camden knocks it out the park here. So we got Camden and then the peop the creators of Give, Send, Go, Jacob Wells and Heather Wilson, they came out and out. The, one of the questions I wanted to them to answer for me was how most people have no problem starting a business. Let me taste some of my water for my wonderful yeah, it tastes amazing from here. Most people have no problem figuring out how to start a business. They can figure it out, right? But 
they have a hard time figuring out how to grow their business. And I wanted to ask them, how do you grow your business after you start it? And I think they have the answer. And it's not your typical concept and answer for how to grow your business. It's another answer. And I want to get to that. And then we had David Bonson. And David makes the argument that work itself is the meaning of life. Yeah, I know. I want to hear him work through that too. But we're going to. The last thing I want to hit, and if I have time, because some of these clips are long, and I said I was going to keep this show to 30 minutes. It's not going to happen today. But one of the things that I want to hit that I that Joe Rigney tops it off with. Now, Joe Rigney was not at the Business Makers Conference, but Joe Rigney's talk was the poetry of creation, the work of God's hands and ours. And it went perfectly into the extension of the other three talks that I had to bring it up and throw it inside of this category. Some people who were there at the Business Makers Conference felt like that the Business Makers side shouldn't have been separate from the regular content around the six day the politics of six day creation. And you know, it's technically not, but boy, it would have been great if there were more people at the Business Makers Conference to get this because we don't understand work very well. So I'm going to try not to talk nearly as much. And I want to bring in Camden Spiller working through the idea of thinking big. Entire element of our attraction to, to cottage industry, that's not because I want to be a blessing to my family and those around me, but because nobody's the boss of me. And we bristle under authority. And we baptize that with some Christian talk. And this is not good. That takes you down a bad path. That's that's a, an element that, that we need to resist and reform. Conversely, there's kind of a, a distorted view of really what slavery is. And we we have this term wage slave. Have you heard this? Yep. Wage slave. This is a denigration of the dignity of work. Labeling mm. people who labor for wages as wage slaves is not a Christian concept at all. The scriptures don't teach in any way a concept of wage slavery. Scriptures teach that the borrower is the slave to the lender, uh, that apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin, uh, slaves to our own lusts and selfish ambitions. But the biblical concept is that in all labor, there is profit. And we do our children, we do our communities, we do ourselves a great disservice when we strip the dignity of work by calling, calling it wage slavery. One of the other bad reasons um, we can have a uh, affection uh, for, for cottage industry is wrapped up in, in some bad theology. Sometimes it's, it's an overrealized uh, eschatology. Uh, Micah 4.4 is sometimes trotted out as some kind of proof text uh, advocating for subsistence agrarian lifestyle. Uh, it, it's the prophecy of a, of a time when each man will sit under his own vine and his own fig tree. The verse preceding says that they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up na uh, sword against nation, and they shall learn war no more. Amen. But is that the time we're living in? Does this seem like the time we need to be laying down our arms or training our hands for war? You know what he's talking about when he talks about the cottage, cottage industry? There is a huge move right now to, to run from the larger institutions and to get back small. I, and I think that Camden even goes in here said that's not necessarily bad, but doing it for the wrong reasons can be. Naively clinging to 
a vine and fig tree, your own vine and fig tree in this, in this time, I think is treason to the time. This is, this is not the time to limit our economic activities to family-based subsistence farming. Some- he's, he's not wrong about that. He's not wrong about that. Think about the business. Think about the authority and the power that businesses had during the time of COVID to be one more anchor in society outside of the church to be able to say, we're not going to listen to you because we don't think you have that kind of authority. Imagine if you owned a company like, I don't know, Apple or Facebook and you own that company. What did I just do? I just hit a button I was not trying to hit. (laughs) You own a company like Apple or Facebook and you're able to say, our employees are required still to come in. And if you don't want to work, we'll find new employees, right? And that was, that was your standard. Like we're, we're going to do our, we're going to decide for our own people, let them make our own decisions, but the federal government is not going to lead us on what we're going to do. Thank you for the suggestions. And that's all they are to us. Well, it's a whole different ball game when you have that type of power. Sometimes we think small because we think God's will for us is to be poor and weak. We think well, if if we if we believe that Christ's kingdom will not actually come on earth as it is in heaven. If we believe that we will lose down here, then it follows that if things start looking successful, <coughs> if if the Lord prospers us, hmm, maybe that's maybe that's not from the Lord. Like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. There are times when we need to flee, but there are also times when we need to stay and build. We especially need to think of our children when we're making these decisions. These are not easy decisions. But do we want our children to be the children of those who fled? Or do we want our children to inherit the inheritance of those who stayed and built? I... I... And and I think to be fair, and I'm thinking about Webb and when I think about this, you have to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and for what intent that you're doing it, right? And not to think that through wisely to say, am I Apple, am I operating in fear? Is that why I'm actually pulling back? Or am I pulling back so that I can shoot, punch, engage harder? And I feel like a lot of times in the cottage industry, it has more fear-based attitude to it than one that like, okay, now we're going to get them, right? Okay, let me pull this one. No, if you've noticed this, but building families, churches, and communities requires an immense amount of economic fuel. So these are the positive things of why we need to think big. These are, he's going through now, think about what happens when you have the ability as a bigger company, a bigger environment to actually engage culture and society. It's incredibly expensive. I, uh, I have nine kids. It's expensive to run our household. Corporations have a tremendous ability to do good, especially to the household of faith. Corporations allow us to amplify and extend our impact both economically and culturally. If we're thinking defensively, corporations can serve an important strategic defense function by enabling economic provision for people who might otherwise be looking over their shoulder for that conversation with the HR department. Mm. Just back in, in recent history, in COVID times, we, uh, at Maddox, we, we hired, uh, hired from the ranks of law enforcement and first responders and military and, and uh, medical personnel. Um, there's, a, there's a great sense in which um, in corporation, uh, Christian corporations can, um, 
can play great defense um, for uh, Christian communities. If we're thinking offensively, Christian corporations can act as a powerful force for cultural transformation. Compared to their cottage counterparts, I think Christian corporations can be better for the cause of cultural reformation, better for the individual, better for business itself, and better for the household. If we desire cultural reformation, we need to work together to build institutions of change. By working together, we employ the principle of concentration of force. Concentration of force is where there's a degree of impact that far exceeds what we could achieve apart. That's, that's man, it's so important. That is so important. I, I just want to know that he's dealing with two different sides here. There are defensive measures to building something big. And I know it takes time. Don't, he talked about this in the preface. Can I t recommend that you become a Fight Lefties Club member? Because you can hear these talks. The membership, just for, the membership for a month is worth it just to hear the Business Makers Conference. It's just, for, I mean, for the whole year, you know, it's worth it because he, he, he prefaces off and says, hey, you know what? There are reasons to start small because everything starts small. It's okay to start in a garage. But, and there's sometimes the things that are just designed that way. If you're creating, um, you know, like he talked about this, he's like, he's creating a, a, a cigar lounge. Well, a cigar lounge can only be so big, right? And the impact it has is very, very local, right? But there's other things that people do that they build that is designed and could be designed to have a much larger impact through what they're doing, even through their own Etsy's, right? Um, I hope that my sponsor, who gave me this lovely mug, have I talked about this mug yet? Um, you can get that at uh, newhearttreasures.com. I hope that my sponsor becomes a multi-billion dollar company selling goods and services to everybody so that she can have uh, an, the impact that she needs as a businessman that serves people and says, you're not going to stop me from serving people well. I get to decide that government. I want them to have real authority and real power. And so their size and their growth actually is an impact for helping us be able to preserve the things that we love about America and be able to have peace in a lot of ways because of what the way they're set up in the defensives um, make to be able to spread the gospel. Businesses actually help with that. And there's an offensive side that he's talking about here as well. Sometimes that's direct, right? So um, maybe you're able to economically provide for a few hundred households. Awesome, that's great, direct, uh, direct benefit. Maybe you're able to work with uh, vendors and suppliers that, uh, that share your worldview. Okay, great. Maybe you're able um, to, uh, maybe you're able to, to have those folks as customers. A lot of ways to do this. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm live in Battleground, Washington, small town in the Pacific Northwest. It's a, it's a conservative town for whatever reason though, they didn't, uh, they didn't have a 4th of July event anymore. Notice, notice, notice this. So he lives in a conservative town. They're having a 4th of July. Well, they, they don't have a 4th of July event. Do you live in a town where it's like, hey, what's a, what a wonderful time for us to bring people together to uh, let them finish. Nothing for the town there. So our corporation, our, our business stepped in and single-handedly uh, organized um, uh, an event for a couple thousand people. Just a great family-friendly event, um, free with no drag queens. Just want to bring that out because they were the ones who were in charge of the event. What no dudes and thongs jumping around there? It's probably why you didn't hear about it as much. But the people in the town know. From the propaganda that uh, maybe somebody else might uh, 
might put into it and um, was able to just be an incredible um, way to engage the community. Is, is this Otto Phelps up here on YouTube? He says the civil magistrate could not have exerted the level of control over the, uh, let me just put this up, over the populace during the COVID lockdowns without compliancy, complicity of big business, 100% true. Is, is that Otto Phelps, the son of, um, oh, what's this, Jack Phelps? Just wondering if that's you. Anyway, if that's you, let me know. But he's absolutely right. Um, we, that was our first year doing it. We'll do it again this year. Expect to have about 5,000 people out. It's just a- Oh, oh, you mean to tell me, this is why I don't take it when people complain about where they're at. Okay, that is, I don't, okay. <laughs> Listen, throwing a party for the wonderful day of 4th of July, inviting 5,000 people out that you probably wouldn't meet under any other circumstances, gives you a wonderful opportunity for your churches, for your friends, for gospel ministry to be able to meet the needs of the community of where you're at. And you can do that because you have a big environment, you have a big business that's doing well, that's making good profits, and you're sowing it back into your community. Great way to be salt and light, to engage in, in our community. And uh, those, kind of, th those kind of opportunities are, uh, are, are many. So... why we need to be thinking big if you can pull back and sometimes i just want to say this i get it that not everything we do starts big start small but have a vision that says i want to bless a lot of people do you want to be a big a big blessing to people or do you want to be a small blessing to people what kind of blessing do you want to be we live in the kind of world where god is a massive blessing to everybody in this world he created a world out of the overflowing love of the trinity and so the world is nothing but a big ball of overflowing God's love. That's what it is. And you live in that world. You're made in the image of God. You should be the kind of business or thinking in the kind of way of with your work and your business that wants to be a massive blessing to the overflow, uh, to, that speaks to the overflow of God's love. You want to be a massive blessing to the people that live in God's world to show them what it means to image God. And this is how we bless people. So, yes, start small, but think big. All right, so I'm going to try and cut through as much as I can because there's so much content here. I got six other clips left. I'm going to try and go through these, and there's some of them long. But I So that was Camden Spiller. Phenomenal talk. Go listen to the whole thing. I just gave you a piece. But while after Camden, Jacob Wells and Heather Wilson spoke from Gibson Go, Gibson Go was just kind of struggling through, and then they found a moment in order to be able to explode. Now, we've had Gibson go on the show. They have took, taken on the, uh, I think they're still taking on, if I remember correctly, the, uh, the uh, Canadian government because they supported the truckers, or should I say the truckers were able to use their platform, and all kinds of stuff fell out then. They actually have a lawsuit. Um, they embraced everybody in this lawsuit and have like somehow like $350 million lawsuit that they're, they're covering, that they're taking um, the lead on. So while they were talking and while we were thinking, while I was thinking through some of the business stuff, I wanted to know, what does it mean? How do you grow? What does it look like to grow? And as I was thinking about this, they just broke out <laughs> exactly what growth looks like. Forward from 2014 to 2020, you had five, six years of struggle of, of just grinding it out that the hilltops and the valleys 
And we found ourselves in the middle of a battlefield. And, and I think Heather's going to talk about what that battle looked like at the beginning. Yeah, so one morning I wake up. So we're just, you know, growing year after year, but not as fast as we'd like. We're really trying to, because we don't have much marketing dollars. We're just putting money back. We bootstrapped this thing. We are putting money back into the company. No one Kind of like every business, right? Every business is for the most part in that situation. Like you, 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 you bootstrap it, you're putting your own money in, you're trying to grow. How do you turn that corner, right? Listen very closely what happens. Owns us. It's, it's all our dollars going into this. And so we don't have much money. And, and one morning I wake up and there's like thousands and thousands of like hate mail and death threats in our inbox. And I'm like, what is going on? We're like this Christian platform that's just like growing. What's going on? It doesn't take us long to identify a campaign that has come to give, send, go that has been rejected off every other platform that's out there, PayPal and GoFundMe and Fundly and, and Facebook and all of them. And there's a young man named Kyle Rittenhouse. And so oh. we start, maybe some of you are familiar with that name, but we start going, okay, well, what's he raising funds for? What's going on here? Like this was, Let's let's take a, lo a look at what all of this is about, because people are really angry that he's raising funds on Give, Send, Go. And so we start looking, we're like, well, he's raising funds for legal defense. Okay, well, in the United States, we know that... Notice... <laughs> we live in a country where you're innocent until proven guilty. But notice how everybody else has given up that reality. And so... By default, just having a biblical standard of innocent until proven guilty and building your platform around those principles, when the whole world goes, you get it, you know exactly where to go to, where you know you can feel like, at least I have an option to prove my case. So Kyle Rittenhouse goes over to Gibson Go, or somebody from his campaign goes over to Gibson, just to have money to defend himself. Legal defense is part of our due process that we're afforded. We're supposed to be presumed used to used to be innocent until we're found guilty in a no no. This is a cancel culture. You don't get that court of law and our peers and and so we said, well, yeah. Why wouldn't we let him raise funds for a legal defense? Um, Notice they didn't try his case. They they weren't doing it. They just said, okay, this seems like this is a just thing to do. We're going to do what no other platform is willing to do. I don't know if he's innocent or guilty. I see all the clips all over social media, just like everybody else, but I don't know all the facts. I can take any clip and make it say whatever I want it to say. But this kid's raising money for legal defense. We don't believe that only wealthy people should be able to afford the attorney they want. So let's allow him. We, we actually talked a lot about this. This is right. the direction, God, you want us to go in, like not adoptions and puppies and, uh, and, and mission strips. Although those are very cute and some of them are very good. Like here's people hating us and we say we're sharing the hope of Jesus. Is this going to smear God's names taking the stand? And so we said, we prayed, we fasted with each other. We called people outside of our circles and, and asked for counsel. And we felt very strongly that God said, no, this is the journey that I've had you on. And this is where I want you to go. And so we thought, wow, this is just like David. You know, David, his dad was like, hey, go bring some food to your brothers. And he was just being obedient, walking along, obeying God. And you know, and that's so, so what is, what does this have to do with how you grow your business? Well, when you're creating your business, and this is something that I learned from Nate Wilson, this is something like with institutions, most of the times we build our businesses and our institutions more like cruise ships 
than like battleships. And I believe, and there's nothing wrong with having a great time and going on a cruise. That's not what I'm saying. And not everything has to be a battleship. But sometimes in the current situation where we are now, we're not beating our swords in the plowshares like you heard from Camden. It's foolish to think that we are. We are in the middle of proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's died. He was buried. He has been raised to the dead. He has all authority on heaven and earth. And you've already lost. So repent and believe the gospel. Your idols don't work here anymore. And so everything we're doing in one way or another is a proclamation of that message. So our types of institutions that we're building now and business that we're building now are more the type of battleships than, than cruise lines. We're going all the way into the highways and the hedges announcing the victory of Christ through how we do business. <laughs> and when you build a battleship, over against a cruise line, you're not afraid to go into battle because that's what you're designed for. You built it that way. You built for it to take on some of the heat. And matter of fact, it functions better in battle than it does docked. And a lot of us will take our businesses and think that our businesses are more like cruise ships instead of building them to be able to take on the onslaught and bless people and to engage with like, he, like Camden talked about, one level of, of business is, is the defense. Being self-sufficient so we can bless the brethren with work. Andrew Crapushet here in Moscow, Idaho, we've had him on the show before. One of the things that he wanted to do was, like, I wanted to build business so people can come here and have their kids educated at Logos or go to NSA and have feasible work that can pay for them to take care of their families while they educate their kids. He's building battleships with this institution. And a lot of us, our businesses are so fragile that if we put them out in front of the, the battle, they don't hold up. And what Gibson Go did, the battle came to them, but they already insulated. They have their own money that they put in. Nobody controls them. And they were walking and engaging justly. And this very situation, that Kyle, the Kyle Rittenhouse situation, is the thing that catapulted them up into all of this. Their business exploded. Because of this, find the trouble, find the problem, go and solve it. That's how you expand and grow. Where's the trouble at? Where's the problem at? And then how do I be a son of Issachar and create an answer to fix the problem? That is a kingly thing to do. When you're making a business, you're, you're, you're functioning like a king, right? That's a kingly thing to do. All right, so. I'm going to try and I don't think I'm going to make it through these. I'm so sorry. I'm going to try this. I'm going to take you to David Bonson next. Bonson comes out and decided to make this statement. Say explicitly in the book that I believe work is the meaning of life. And I think there are two messages, both of which are different than mine. Does that bother you when he says that? Does it, I mean, does it hit you a little bit where you're like, oh, I don't know if that's the meaning of life. I mean, it's important, but it's not the meaning of life. That compete um, against each other for the most prevalent view. And one is that work is very much not the meaning of life. That the meaning of life is beauty in the garden, paintings, uh, some sort of kumbaya moments those uh, Zen opportunities you get doing yoga. The meaning of life are, are certain abstract ideas that are kind of 
um, connected to a very poorly defined view of self-consciousness and perhaps being in love, maybe being in love multiple times, a kind of romantic understanding of life, that that's the real meaning. And yet there is a sense at varying degrees of acceptance where work is a necessary evil to facilitate our passions, our romances, our dreams, our, our Buddha on the mountaintop moments. Um, that would be a view that is different than mine. If you want to write that down, like Take just for clarity's sake, that's not David's view of work. But then there's another view that I think competes with that one that is uh, somewhat common and accepted in the church, and it is also not my view, and that is that no, work is not the meaning of life, but work is a part of life, but that the meaning of life is a whole bunch of things, and there's sort of a pie, and then you have a slice of pie for church and a slice of pie for marriage and a slice of pie for children, and we're willing to put in a slice for work, and that may be a perfectly useful graphic description of time. It may be a very useful graphic um, of, of other kind of, of how you think about priorities or, or resource allocation, but I don't think it's a very useful uh, graphic to explain or capture the meaning of life for someone who understands creational theology. Remember what we're talking about here. We are at the Ark Encounter, the politics of six-day creation. So this is a big statement here. And I believe in all of those slices of pie as an integral part of our life. But I believe that God made us to work. And I believe that most people, not all, ought to be married. I believe that most people, not all, ought to have children. They should definitely go baptize them if they have them. I believe in the community of church. I believe in community responsibilities. And, you know, if someone has enough time to go have their Zen moments in yoga or whatever people do, um, painting outdoors while it's raining or some such <laughs> stuff, uh, writing poetry, you know, I can make fun of these things all day, but you get the idea. I um, am all for all of it. I support it entirely many of which I think are crucial biblical responsibilities for a Christian life. But God on the sixth day created man to be in communion with him, and he made man in his image. And he bestowed upon mankind a uniqueness that is best captured in the word dignity, that he did not make the animal kingdom with. That is, souls that can never die, and that is an eternal destiny. And he did not make mankind with an eternal destiny because he hates us, but rather because he loves us. And he desired to be in communion with us. And he desired for us to partner with him in this concept of creation. And I get very close to a heresy there, but I'm going to reel it right back. Because obviously I know, since I'm not a heretic, you can write that down too. We'll decide in just a minute, David. You don't have to take any notes at all except for the things I point out, which are just things that I didn't say or don't mean. We can't create things ex nihilo because he is God and we are not. All right? God as God, as one who has several characteristics that are transcendent that we do not share with him, though being made in his image, his omnipresence, his omniscience, and his omnipotence being among the three most important, we cannot create out of nothing. 
But when you look to the characteristics that we share with God, among the most crucial and important is existential. That is why we exist. That is to cultivate the earth, to work, to grow, to steward this creation, and to draw out of what God created in raw material form, the potential. Okay, I, I just, oh man, I know this is my post-millennial side kicking in. But if you're not a post-millennialist, you still believe that. But here's something where the disconnect happens for a lot of people who aren't. If you're working and you're made in the image of God, that work has a teleos to it. It has an outcome. It's going to accomplish a particular end. Work in itself, I'm comfortable saying, is post-millennial. It's taking the things that, and, and, oh, I, I'm not going to get ahead of David. I'm not going to get ahead. I'm going to let him finish. But um, what happened across politics? Y'all done with posting daily content? Absolutely not. We've been on vacation, my guy. Cross politics is not done posting daily content. We've been posting daily content for weeks. We've done at least four shows a week. We've just been off on vacation. Well, not vacation. We've been off getting ready for the conference, just so you know. All right, I'm going to go to the next clip of David, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more. This iPhone that probably almost all of you in the audience have as an example of something that it was, in a very real sense, created. And you say, well, it wasn't created ex nihilo. And I say, that's right. And, and it wasn't created by God. It wasn't in the garden. And that's sort of right. But God made two things in the garden that were the only things necessary for the Apple iPhone product to come into your hands and use uh, roughly 15, 16 years ago now. And that was the raw materials that are part of this phone, every single one of which existed at the Garden of Eden. Did you know that? Yes, and it's so cool. Think about this. We are at this point in the world that it has taken 6,000 years for us to get to the point where man is able to say, oh, this is what these metals do, and this is how these plastics hold together, and this is what how we get text in here and all this stuff and put it together and look, Lord, look what we've created. Look, look, you've given us this and now we give it back to you better. This is, it's taken us over 6,000 years now to be that kind of, of good and faithful servant that gets to offer this back to the Lord. As mankind and say, Lord, look, we've, what we've made, look what we've made from your creation, right? Like that, that's an, it's taken us that long to be able to do that. But it's, it's not, history hasn't, history has, is going. Yeah, if you're Android, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a cell phone ain't one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm just gonna throw that in there. Uh, but, but the way that history is going, as man works, the progression, the progression is beautiful. And then mankind. That's it. And God put all those things in the, in the garden. All those things have been there. It's, there's those, these are not new things. We, they're not all of a sudden God put them in later. No, they've always been here. It's all you needed for the Apple iPhone. Raw materials made by God, mankind. And mankind adding innovation, 
creativity, ingenuity. Sometimes I, I got to interrupt them. This is exciting to me. I get really excited about this because there is an arrogance that comes with us in our current generation to think that we've arrived already as it comes to technology, that we're just looking for, um, uh, we're, we're just looking kind of for like this, uh, uh, something just to be an offshoot of what we currently have, but it's not a next level beyond that, right? We're very confident. And anything to next level scares us. But the God has placed and hidden amazing things in this world that we haven't even begun to imagine the effect and the beauty that they would have and the blessing that they would be to mankind. We haven't even begun. And, and the more that we keep trying to figure out ways to get out of this world, instead of putting our hands to do the work to get into the world, right? Get into the, the creation that God has given us and say, Lord, what, what, start imagining what has God made this particular metal for? What has God made this particular thing for? What, why does, why does God want us to, to do something with it and start using our imagination? Say, how does this stuff glorify God? Instead of saying, oh, my goodness, we got to figure out how to get out of this world. Sometimes at various speeds that we make up new words for, like technology, better efficiencies. But, yeah, that's all it is. It's, it's ideation combined with the raw material of creation. So God asked us to do. It's what he made us to do. And so when I look at the current state of affairs, I think that Christendom's notion of work being a compartmentalized part as opposed to this fundamental component as to why God made us and then defined an asset allocation of time for us, mm. that he worked for six days to create the world and rested on the seventh and asked us in post-fall, repeated to Moses at Sinai, the exact idea of a basic work-life balance. By the way, he doesn't like that term, and he goes on to say that he really writes against it in his book. All right, all of these talks, this full talks, are inside the Pub TV app. Um, go to fightlaughfeast.com, sign up to be a, a Pub member, and you can get all of the business conference stuff that's there. I recommend all of it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna skip. I kind of want to keep going through Bonson. All right, I'll keep going through Bonson. One of those four the work one, is the one that church and non-church alike view not as the solution, but as the problem. Church and non-church have different understandings of the other three. But You want to know what those other three are? You better become a pub member to go and listen to it. I'm not going to tell you, but I want, to, I want you to finish listening to what he says about the work. Nevertheless, still agree in some form that there ought to be the other three, if you follow me. On the fourth, some kind of utilitarian idea of work th that it is what you have to do, but it exists for the purpose of raising your family. It exists for the purpose of contributing to the church's building fund. It exists for some other purpose. In other words, my pastor in New York City calls it the, a view of work that equates it to Christian fundraising. Oh, you work so you can get the money to do the real thing, but the work isn't the real thing. I think that this is perhaps the lowest hanging fruit in our society mm. for making a difference for the kingdom of God.
that mm. if Christians could understand the full order and beauty of God making us to be workers, to find satisfaction in that toil, to crave career dominion, to crave marketplace presence, to crave being respected in the community as mm. merchants and service providers for the glory of God, for our actual created purpose. I think we change the world. And mm. I don't think we have any chance of changing the world until this change of mind takes place. I'm not even giving you all the great stuff. This is just this is just a taste of how good that was. He's right. He's right. Like if you you know what? Loving your neighbor and serving them in a, in a particular way is absolutely absolutely life-changing. To be able to go have you ever watched people who do barbecue? It's a hard, hard task to do barbecue. And barbecue is one of the few tasks where I know somebody loves me when I taste it. They wake up super early in the morning, two, three o'clock in the morning, get out there in the cold or whatever it is. And they get this fire going and they put this meat out there and they season it. They do this prep and it takes hours, hours to make really good barbecue. And in less than like, 30 seconds, you'll inhale it. <laughs> it's not even the same trade-off. The trade-off is completely different, except the moment of beauty that you're know, like, somebody put their foot in this joker, and you love it. And could you imagine, I just think about this, the kind of restaurants that have created an environment where people say, I don't just go there because the food is good and it is good. I go there because when I leave, I'm a different person and I love being around those people because of the way they love and serve me so well. And so because of that, I'm different. Now put that same restaurant in the middle of COVID. Your attitude towards that environment to those people is going to make you check everything else, right? going to make you check everything else. Wait, no, these people have been great to me. I know they take their time to make food for me. I know they serve me well, and they're not following along with all the COVID stuff. Man, it's going to have to make me rethink. Are these people absolutely devils? And do I want to call them that? It's going to challenge the reality, and it's going to open up conversations uh, that you wouldn't have gotten only because you're so excellent at serving other people. That's a dominion thing. That's because you've gotten good at what you do. I think that it makes a lot of sense for us to believe that we're going to totally reform our families and totally reform the civil magistrate and totally reform the institution of church and all be rank mediocrities in our jobs. You better preach, I don't David. I think it's going to happen. You, you, better, you better say that. You better say that. This is this is for those post mill folks. Look, I know y'all y'all want to talk and argue post mill all you want, but let me taste your barbecue. Let me see your products. Does it look as good as my sponsor's product right here? This lovely, lovely, lovely mug that you can get at newhearttreasures.com. <laughs> yes. Our vision of dominion across the various elements that matter in this society will involve our jobs because God made us to be workers, because civilization 
revolves around this co-creation process with him, this big, vast world that requires goods and services to meet the needs and wants of humanity. So for can I just say right now it's inescapable? Like, this is what I mean when I say, like, my post-millennial, it's not a prerequisite that you have to be post-millennial in order for you to act post-millennial. Because it's post-millennialism is built into the doggone system, people. I would, I don't, look, if you're a charismatic speaking in tongue, falling out in the spirit guy who is, who is, a, who is a non-sensationist, okay, we'll have that conversation. Go make something amazing. Go make a lovely car. Re, reinvent cell phones. Re, go find something else in the dirt. Be a good trash man. Figure out a way to beautify. The, I, you can't escape the realities. If you are a dispensationalist who believes in the rapture is going to get out of here and say, that's great. That's great. I just want you to go build a lovely institution that serves and loves the people of God. Because in you doing that, it's 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 not going to go towards your... You're actively fighting against your eschatology in that reality. So I don't, I'm not going to fight with you about eschatology at the end of the day. I'm going to fight with you about how good your products are. I'm going to fight with you about how much you're loving your neighbor. I'm going to fight with you that you are designed to work because you image God. God worked and he made you to be like him. And, oh, I want to talk about the handoff later, the creational handoff. That's what Joe Rigney gets into next. But. Because God has made you that way, you can't help but fulfill the post-millennial reality. Because working to bless other people doesn't leave you without a blessing. God's world isn't random, right? It's not random. So to work as God has made you, to beautify as God has made you, is going to have a particular outcome. For those of you in the room, which I understand there's a lot of you that are business owners, this is what you do mm. when people, I gave a talk yesterday in New York City. It was a largely Catholic audience at a group called the Napa Institute. Um, but they, they're very pro-free market as I am, and they're very pro-work. It's a pretty educated and a pretty affluent crowd, but there's still this discomfort with the notion of the common good. They have kind of a more Aristotelian idea of it. But I don't, I'm willing to define it as the good life, human flourishing, you know, the terms like the common good, that I think it's okay that we can just sort of understand that there is, without all the specifics for now, we get what we mean by that. And so hold that in place for a moment. But that that's pitted up against profits. That when we're working, does our pursuit of profits get in the way of the common this good? This is so good. Listen up. And it's a tension that is entirely a byproduct of poor theology. Oh, now, now listen, you need to put this one in your back pocket because everyone, everyone is having this conversation. The social justice movement is having it. Republicans are having it. Democrats are having it. What about those companies that have all these? This is the, this is the, unfortunately, this is kind of the greed inside that's this, this, this built inside of our system, right? This is, this is the, the idea that of what we covetousness has built inside of us. Look at how many profits these people are making. Surely we should have some of that ourselves. It's a, which most, most things are, by the way. It's a tension that comes from lack of vocabulary. Mm -hmm. You do not get profits because your cost of goods of putting a coffee together is $2 and you sell it for five and then the profit is three. 
that at the end stage of the transaction may result in profits, even from that specific cost of goods sold in a kind of gross profit standpoint, you still have obviously another layer of expenses, your SG&A that will uh, come on the bottom side of your P&L before you get to your true net profits as owners. But when you define profits as the equity holder's profit, the portion of profitability that you as an owner of the business get to keep at the end of the day and ignore all the profits properly defined that are being made along the way, you haven't mm. defined the word profit. You haven't even used the word profit because there is no way that I can sell the coffee for $5 to someone that my raw materials may have cost $2 unless I also hired somebody and I'm paying them a particular wage that is their profit. Mm. Remember we were talking about wage slave and Camden brought that up and said, there's no such thing. That's right. Why are my profits as an owner to be demonized or pitted against the common good? Come on now. But the profit of someone selling their labor for economic consideration. And by the way, by the way, I'm just going to throw this in there. David, you can add this to your talk. I ain't even going to charge for it. This free because I like you. If you go to a company and you don't feel like you're being paid enough, you're the one who's made the bad deal because you don't feel like that you're turning profit off of the process. Well, who, who made that deal? And by the way, you can decide to leave whenever you so choose. <laughs> you can say, you know what? I don't feel like I'm making enough. I don't think I'm turning the profit of my time. I'm going to find somebody who wants to pay me at least what I think that I'm worth so I can make the profit that it is. That I, everybody is capable of making that decision. But if you stay there and you complain about how much money you're not making, you a bad businessman. And because you're not handling what you're doing well, you can expect not to get more. Is not. Why are the suppliers and the vendors that are involved in the supply chain of this invisible hand that is just all I'm trying to do is be a coffee uh, seller and all someone else is is trying to be a coffee buyer. And along the way, we want to think only of the total, total net profits to the business as profit and ignore all of the things that go into it along the way. Mm. I don't, that, that, you know, oh, okay. I got to get the ring. There's so much here to say. All right. So look, we, God is, this is a beautiful setup, isn't it? All because you want to sell coffee to somebody, you end up blessing all these people along the way, giving them jobs so that they can be a blessing to other people. And th this goes back to Kim. So think, think about it. Like it's a small thing. I want to make a great cup of coffee. And in that making a great cup of coffee in a small, simple way with a corner store, corner stand, people love your coffee and you say, how can I bless more people to be able to work better, wake up in the morning so that they can go and serve other people better? And you're like, well, if I had two stands, I mean, and then now you need more employees. So you can't do it all blessing people. That's what's so amazing about God's setup. The more that you seek to be a big blessing to people, the more that God adds to your hand and say, hey, go and be a blessing to people. Because you've been faithful in the little things, I'll make you a ruler over many. All right, here, so Joe's Rigney, he had, I wanted to, I really wanted this talk from Joe. The poetry of creation and the work of God's hand and ours. I'm not going to preface it, just listen. 
today was talking about how what, Ken Ham earlier today was talking about how what was the light? I actually think that the Bible gives us some indication of what the light was for those three days. In um, in Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul writes about his gospel ministry, and he's talking about the um, the God of this earth has blinded the minds of the unbelievers; they cannot see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we we are we preach Christ; we're servants. And he says, um, "The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ." So. God, there, there, if, you, if you put that together, God has shown in our hearts. In the new birth, God shines his glory into our hearts and awakens us so that our eyes are open and we see. Okay, that's what happens in the preaching of the gospel. God Amen. himself shines in our hearts. And then in that passage, it compares it back to Genesis 1. The God who said, let light shine of darkness, right there in verse 3. That God is the one who shines in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's an unwarranted inference. I think it's a perfectly reasonable to think that for those first three days, what was shining and what was this watery mass sort of orbiting in order to have or spinning around in order to have the day and the night, the evening and the morning, I think it was God himself shining into his creation. That's good. For three days. Let there be light and there was light. God said, let there be an expanse, and then God made the expanse. God said, let dry land appear, and it was so. But then notice what happens on day three. The, he says, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, and the earth brings forth vegetation. Notice that the earth itself is sort of involved in the process. It doesn't just happen. It's the earth that bears it, that brings it forth. He doesn't make plants sort of directly, but they come out of the ground. As Dr. Merkel said earlier, they were out of the ground, but they hadn't yet sprouted. But the, the earth was what brought them forth. And then again, day four, right? We've, we've had three days of evening and morning of alternating periods of light and darkness. And then what does God do? Again, I think he's shining as the light for the cosmos, but then God creates the luminaries, the light bearers, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he sets them in the heavens like jewels to rule the day and the night. In other words, he delegates the task that he had been doing to these greater and these lesser lights. Don't miss what he just said, because it's going to get better. Then we see a similar movement on day six with the creation of man. Mm. God gives dominion over the fish and the birds and the beasts. So just as the sun and the moon will rule the heavens and regulate light and darkness, so man will rule the earth and rule the seas. And so here we see the handoff. We saw the work of God's hands. God has been doing it himself, and now he gives authority, responsibility, a task, a mission to his creatures. You You can't miss this. You can't miss this. This is so important because if you don't get this right, Your eschatology gets screwed up at the end of the day. God made man to work and made man to reflect his image on earth and to do the thing that God does with the creation. And so God then does all this, leaves a blueprint. I'm trying not to get ahead of Joe because Joe is killing. I'm so glad he's in Moscow. Uh, I appreciate this guy. And it leaves this blueprint for him in the garden. This is what it looks like to make amazing things. Go, make the rest of the world like this. By the end of day six, that hasn't ended, by the way. That's still what man is supposed to be. Matter of fact, it's inescapable for man not to be doing that. God's work of creation is done. Whoa. He rests from the work of creation. But our work, the work of dominion, the work of sub-creation is only beginning. This is... 
man, if we can get that, if if we can if we can just get that right there, and really just focus on that, like God has rested, and so now He hands in the same way that God handed off the light to do what He was doing, shining His creation as a representative. The way that he's done that with light, he's even done that with man. I worked, I made the world, I made this garden. Adam, go make the rest of the world like this. He hands it off. Listen to this. And this is especially true of man, which is unique among God's creatures. I wonder if you noticed that little detail. If you noticed in verse, in, uh, on day five, when God, and uh, no, sorry, day six, day five and six, when God makes the animals and God, it says, God bless them saying, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. God bless them saying. But then when it comes to man, he says, God bless them and said to them. It's a mm. little detail. It's a little detail. But when God speaks about the, what the animals and the, and the fish and the birds will do in their multiplication, he just says it sort of over them. They will just do it because they'll, that's how he made them. He made them with design and, and they're going to be fruitful and multiply. But he says this blessing over them. But when it comes to man, he says the blessing to them. Why? Because they can hear it. We can hear it. We can respond to it. We can intentionally do what God has made us to do. It's not just automatic. It's not just instinct. It's not just natural processes. We have a mind. We have a will. We can respond to God or not. And so God blesses us and he says to us, we are unique, made in his image. The man's priestly calling in Genesis 2, verse 15, when God places Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. This is a really key phrase at the base. So he's going on to explain how man is a prophet, priest, and king. We talked a little bit about this with David, uh, David Reese just a couple of weeks ago on Family Friday. And but he's going back through this reality that, that this is how man, and we've talked about this. And so I just want to bring this up. This is how man functions. God has designed him to be prophet, priest, and king of, cre of creation. And he's handed it off to him. Basic level, it refers to working in garden the garden whatever sort of maintenance that Adam would have had to do on the garden that God made. They're common Hebrew words for labor and guarding. They show up everywhere in the Bible, but they only rarely show up together. They rarely show up together. In fact, the few places that these two Hebrew words show up together, they refer to the activities of the Levites, the priests in the tabernacle. In other words, if the world, if this cosmos is God's temple, then we are God's priests mm. placed in his sanctuary and given the task of worshiping, obeying God and guarding and protecting sacred space. Did you just hear what he said? Oh my goodness. He's not making a post-millennial argument. I don't know how you get away from it. If the world is God's temple, then man is his priest. This is God's sacred space. It's his. And we have seen models over and over of what it looks like to be good priests before the Lord. We've seen models over and over in scripture of what it looks like to be good kings. And our priesthood and our kings, our kingship and our, and our being prophets, he's gonna get to that in just a moment, is to be that over the world, over the world. And we are disciple other men of their calling into that reality of creation. That hasn't changed. The gospel restores us to be able to actually be properly in the Imago Dei. 
What does it look like to be human? Look at Christ. What does it look like to be a man? Look at Christ. What does it look like to actually be a good king and a prophet and a priest? Look at Christ. You don't get to escape the reality of the world. You have to live in it, being a good steward, bringing those things that God has hidden in the world out of it to say, here, Lord, here's the, let me tell you something. Every day with my family, we pray in the morning, Lord, here are our hands, take and fill it with good work so that we can give it back to you at the end of the day. And we lift our hands. And then when we go home, we raise our hands at the end of the day, after it's all done, said and done with family worship, we say, hey, Lord, take our good works that you have given to us from the beginning of creation, from before the foundation of creation, take these and may these be a sweet smelling savor in your presence only through the work of Jesus Christ so that the Lord will take our works and be glorified with them. I'll let you finish. I'll, I, you know what? You're going to say this much better than me, Joe. But not only is man called to be God's priest, he's called to be a king. Mm. We see this in Genesis 1. The subdue the earth and have dominion is royal language. And note two things about that call, right? It suggests, on the one hand, that while the earth is very good, there's no sin, there's no decay, there's no destruction, there is still a world that is unsubdued, mm. untamed. You don't tell someone, I need you to subdue the earth if the earth is already fully subdued. Logical. God intended man uh, to subdue the earth, to tame it. We learn later that God planted that garden and placed man in it. Now he calls man to make the world like that garden. Mm. That hasn't changed, by the way. That hasn't changed. <laughs> Christ has restored man to be able to do that. And he showed us how. This is the kingly aspect of man's calling. It's not just to guard sacred space. It's to extend it mm. so that the earth is filled with the glory of the, of the Lord. I got to tell you something. Um, I got to tell you something. Oh, man. So nobody in this conversation on Christian nationalism has a problem with the kingly rule of man. Matter of fact, when Israel was getting attacked by Hamas, so many people in this conversation on Christian nationalism almost all of a sudden turned to some sort of level of version of a Christian prince. <laughs> they knew immediately that the people who love the Lord, the Christians, had a responsibility. And I, I, I disagree with this, but this is what I, it was obvious to me, their position. They had a duty and responsibility to protect what was good and to punish what was wicked. And they expected, and I'm particularly thinking about Owen Strand's tweet on this. He said, should America go around policing the nations and all that stuff? Absolutely not. But he did say, I, we expect America to go around punishing wickedness. And I'm like, really? Oh. He expected some sort of kingly attitude and response from America. Where do you get that from? What's the standard? What, what's, what, at what point would it be good for America to do this? And what standard are you using biblically to be able to make that argument? Now, you might be right, and I might absolutely, absolutely agree with you, but at this point, it sounds like you're getting really close to being a theonomist. You're getting really close to like it. You want America in one way to be the international Christian prince. That's what it sounds like, at least the way that, that Wolf is explaining some of this, because 
I want to know how you get over the American border and the system that it has to jump over to somebody else's conflict. Maybe you can explain that to me from scripture. I would love to see that. Are we just talking political theology or, or what are we talking about? What are the standards by which we as a nation need to go and do something to defend other people? What is that requirement? And as soon as you go to the scriptures to argue for that situation to be done by America or any nation for that matter, you're using a general equity theonomic position. And that's all I'm saying right? That's a kingly role that hasn't been gone away. And, and we can argue how, how that looks and what that looks like, but to act like theonomists and, and, and I'm not a Christian nationalist, but to act like theonomists and Christian nationalists are somehow odd for thinking about this stuff through. I've watched every last one of these guys who've had some sort of con, dis, dis, uh, conflict with Christian nationalists or theonomists all of a sudden start defending why we need to support. Why we need to support? What do we need to do? And I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine. Let's have that conversation. But you're doing the same thing that you're criticizing other people of doing. Right? I'm, I'm fine with that. But let's have that conversation. That's a kingly reality. So man is not only a priest, but he is a king, God's vice regent ruling over creation. And then in Genesis 2, 19 to 21, we see man as a prophet. God delegates the naming of the animals and the naming of woman to man. This is really this good. Is Watch this. Amazing, okay? Watch this. On the first days of creation, God had separated and named everything. So if you read Genesis 1, God is the one who says, that's, that expanse, that's now called the heavens. That gathering of water, those are called seas. That land jutting out, that's called earth. Now that naming task, he gives to his image bearers. That's amazing. Delegates. He hands it off. So then here's then is the picture of what we receive in Genesis 1. God creates a good world and over the course of seven days makes it very good. He did, oh, we cut it. There's a line in here where he says, God brings all the animals and he says, what do you call this? And we're still in that effect where we're saying, mm, we call this iPhone. And then when somebody has Android, we say, we call this trash but it could be useful. <laughs> but while God rests on the seventh day, man does not. God has given him a threefold task, work and guard the garden, fill the earth, subdue and have dominion over it and name the world. And so this movement from the work of God's hands to the work of our hands is earth shattering in its implications. It gets into everything. Here's Absolutely. one theologian on this reality. He says, why do we marry? Why do we take friends and lovers? Why do we give ourselves to music, painting, chemistry, or cooking? Out of simple delight in the resident goodness of creation, of course, but out of more than that too. Half of earth's gorgeousness lies hidden in the glimpsed city it longs to become. For all of its rooted loveliness, mm. the world has no lasting city here. It is an outlandish place, a foreign home, a session on the way to a better version of itself. And, is, and it is our glory to see it so and thirst until Jerusalem comes home at last. We are given appetites, not just to consume the world and forget it, but to taste its goodness and hunger to make it great. Mm. To taste its goodness and hunger to make it 
great. That's what God calls us to in Genesis 1 and 2. We're to take the rooted loveliness of this world and guard it and protect it and then wonder of wonders, make it lovelier. This is why this is why we can't lose down here. Because if we lose down here, then we're not being faithful with what God has given us to do as man. Do you understand that? What is what was the, what was it that God told Adam to do to guard and protect it? Not just hope for some way out. No, no, no. We actually have jobs and work to do down here. When you are creating a way to bless other people, right? When you are creating a way to be a good steward of what it is God has given you, you protect that, you guard it, and you love your neighbor with it. And, and then you protect your people. I mean, gifts and go. They they're, have all this money that they're using to, for these truckers and for these people who are getting sued by the Canadian government. And they're, they're giving their money. They're protecting them. That's how they're growing. Part of the reason that some of our businesses don't grow is because we will not protect, we will not engage. We're more like cruise ships than battleships. We will not protect and guard the created thing that God has given us. And that is sad because we're all in some way have a form of escapism. Get your hands in the work and do it. Guard it and protect it. That's what you were called for. We're to take taste the goodness of the earth's absolute givenness, just the way God made it, and then we're to make it greater. Did you hear that? God has, God has created something amazing, handed it off to you and say, go make more of it. Go make it better. That is, that's, strike, that's really weird to me when I hear that. God, you, you think you, whatever you've done inside of me and this, this creation of man that images you, 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 you can give me something and said that it has levels to grow, that, that I can help it grow that way. I, I, I can make something that, that, that you've given me better. The parable of the talents. The guy who doesn't make it better doesn't advance on what was given is the unworthy servant. The work, this is what we have to see from Genesis. The work of God's hands handed to us so that by his grace and by our work, his work can be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Here's, here's what I want to leave you with. What, what, what my guy Joe just said is, um, uh, man, lock this one in. I want you to think tomorrow morning when you get up to go to work, here's the image I want you to have in your head. I want you to have this image that God is preparing for you a whole bunch of work, good work for you to do. And when you wake up in the morning, God is going to hand you this work. What is your attitude towards God handing you this work? It's like, oh, oh. he's like, hey. I'm going to give you a present tomorrow, work. And I want you to take that work and make something better than how I handed it to you. And that's how God has designed his whole creation. And God has given us every morning the jobs and the work that we have and desires that we have to do, the, to do our jobs the way that we're built and wired, whether you work as a technician or you work as a coder, where you work as a, a, a plumbing guy. You're, God has built you in a certain particular way that you can do this work and you're good at it. Wake up tomorrow morning and live in the reality that God has given you work to make better than it was originally given to you. And go live in that. Go work in that. 
mean? When God gives you work, you don't say, oh. Right? That's that's tempting. God, that's what the children of Israel did when God gave them manna. Oh, can we have meat? Oh, Lord. That's how you're acting when, when you when you go to work with that kind of attitude. Like, don't don't be that guy. Be the guy that wakes up like Adam woke up and said, oh, look at this beautiful creation that God has. And then let me go and see how I can make it better for the glory of God. Because God has given you that work to do and he's already predestined. This is we, we work as Calvinists. We are Calvinists. We work hard because we know God has already worked. And so the hard part, we, can, we don't have to make anything ex nihilo. We make it because God has already made it. And God's like, go have fun. Figure out how to make this even more awesome. There's all kinds of things I've hidden for you. What is the Bible verse? That is the, is the pleasure, of, it's the joy of God. I can't remember how it goes. I think it's uh, Proverbs 25. It's, it's the joy of God um, to hide in his creation, hide things in his creation. And it's the glory of kings to find it out. Wake up tomorrow and go be kingly and ask yourself, what is God hidden in his creation that I'm supposed to find out? And that I'm supposed to glorify for him and say, here, Lord, this is what I've done. Hey, glad to do it. Go find some work. Go do it well and give it to the glory of God. Give it to God and say, Lord, I had to put my glasses on because David Bonson was talking. Say, Lord, this is for you. I'm giving you back what you've given me. Right? Go get the work done. Don't let the pagans outwork you. They get it. We can outwork them because we know the whole narrative, the whole story, why God made the world. Walk in that. I'm out.